We just completed preaching through Hebrews paragraph by paragraph. Who knows the Bible was written in paragraphs. I've confirmed it with college professors and rabbis. Written in paragraphs, just like today we write in paragraphs. So get you a Bible written in paragraphs. Part of the problem with false doctrine out there is the verses that are stacked upon each other and not lined up like the writer wrote them. It's really easy to pull things out of context when you do that because the verses stand out from their context. Uh, One preacher said, any text that's out of context is a con. (laughs) So when you buy a new Bible, that's one thing to check. Uh, Is it in paragraphs? Let me see. I know the King James Version has a symbol for paragraph. That's fine, but why can't they just do it in paragraphs? So that's my soapbox for the day. Maybe the only one. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is teaching multitudes, and he gets interrupted by somebody in the crowd. So we're going to interrupt this chapter with a paragraph that begins with verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In those days, there were traditions the eldest son got double the inheritance that the other children did. Uh, there may have been probate court or the early beginnings of it. He recognizes Jesus as something special. He wants to get Jesus involved. Who knows, some people want to get you involved in all their drama. You've got to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Jesus came to shake things up, but not just shaking them up for the reason just to shake up. He shook things up with a purpose. In fact, by the end of this chapter, we won't get there today, he talks about, I came to bring division. But the division isn't just division for division's sake. The division has to do with who he is. You reject me, (laughs) you're going to have problems if you receive me because of the division that's in the world. I'm not going to back down and be who somebody else wants me to be. I'm going to be who I am. I am God manifest in the flesh, basically, is his message. And so this person in the crowd, you know, wants him to become executor of the will. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? I'm not going to get involved in in that conflict. And he said to them, take heed. Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's a word of wisdom if there ever was one, for the crowd and for that man. I say a young man. Don't get covetous. So many people are blessed with siblings by their parents. You know, your parents go through hard work to bring you a sibling. Some kids only get puppies. You get brothers or sisters, and they raise them. It's hard work, only to lose them when the parents die because the kids fight over the stuff. That's covetousness. Well, it ain't right. Well, let me tell you what. Life is never fair for everybody. God's a God of justice. In the long run, justice is being served, will be served. But in the short run... This is why we have to have an eternal perspective. In the short run, everything may not necessarily go your way. Who knows, your sibling may die before you, and you get everything. But because you got into some fist fight or some division, this is for somebody, when they die, lo and behold, that sibling left nothing to you because they were so hurt by you. So... Just don't get caught up in that. Beware covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, 
the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. So the man was already rich, and his farm, the ground, yielded with a great crop. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he's already rich, but now his storage facilities are overflowing with stuff. What, what am I going to do? So he said, I will do this. I'll give to the poor. I'll give to my neighbors. No, he didn't. He said, I will do this. What shall I do? I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will, notice how many times he says, I will. Kind of reminds you of the scripture about Lucifer. I will, I will, I will. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, and never farm again. And then the bull weevils come in, the mold comes in, or tornado blows through town, and he loses it all, right? Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So you provided these things for yourself only for somebody else to get it. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The Bible says he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. So there are things in life that are priorities to God and he blesses us to be a blessing. Who knows that's right? We are blessed to be a blessing. So that's the end of the parable. Now comes the application. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. So why did the rich man do what he did? He was coveting, he wanted more. He wanted uh, to be blessed and he wanted to keep it. And he didn't want to worry. Well, we're not supposed to worry. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He just got done saying in verse 6, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So you could buy sparrows cheap in that day. I guess sparrow stew is kosher. I don't know. <laughs> Verse 25. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Can you worry and get uh, 16 inches taller by worry? No, if anything, worry will stump you over, make you shorter. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? 
oh you of little faith. Spring is coming, and the wildflowers in Texas are coming. And we have them here. The flowers we have here are wild. We don't do a thing to bring them. They just happen, and when they come, we don't mow till we're sure they've gone to seed, and they come back. So if God cares so much for the earth that he allows wildflowers to blossom, how much more is he going to care for us? I think you get the point. Oh, you a little faith. Verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. And we say, do not seek. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. There's the word seek again. And your father knows that you need these things. But seek, can we say seek? The kingdom of God. So don't seek your prosperity, your needs being met. Seek the kingdom of God. And all these things, what you eat, what you'll wear, will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is our treasure? In our stuff, in our life, or in the kingdom? Jesus said in Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said in Luke, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your entrance into heaven and the kingdom of God here on earth is not based on your income. Who's glad about that? So citizenship into the kingdom is a privilege for us all, and we need to value that. You're already rich. It used to be a Southern gospel song. I'm a poor rich man. I'm a poor rich man. It's all about the blessings we have that are based in the kingdom of God. I think we're in a season that you may begin to notice the next few years more teaching will be done on the kingdom of God. Self is promoted so much in our culture. And preaching is done to people's felt needs, which is fine. You know, how not to worry, how to do your taxes, how to, you know, have the best me in 73 or 23, whatever. Me, 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 me. We're not brought into the kingdom for me. He said he'd give me eternal life. Yes, but it's all about his kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's a realm where a king rules and has dominion. In the Oxford Dictionary, if the word kingdom is capitalized, it is the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God. Jesus, in his preaching, used the word kingdom when referring to the kingdom of God 102 times. Would you say that's a major theme? And the other times he used it, 17 times, was contrasting other kingdoms with the kingdom. And the kingdom is mentioned not as often, but it's in the epistles. It just is. Most of his parables were describing what the kingdom is like. 
Let me review our springboard text. Verse 31. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Give us a fresh perspective of who you are as king and of your kingdom and who we are as citizens in that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm honored to be an American, an American citizen. My wife became a U.S. citizen back in 1982, the day before we took a road trip to Akron, Ohio. I wanted to show her America. Her and I are two kids and our car loaded to the gills, a 1981 Ford Escort. As great as American citizenship is, it is temporary. For when you exit this earth, your earthly body is buried beneath the soil. If you're a believer, you are present with the Lord. And your eternal citizenship continues to go. So as kingdom of God citizens, we have a dual citizenship. Isn't that against the law? I'm sorry, but the kingdom of God trumped the Declaration of Independence. In fact, many of those brothers were citizens of the kingdom of God. They would agree with me. It had to do with the kingdom of England that the conflict was over, not the kingdom of God. Now, England often thought itself as equivalent to the kingdom of God. But no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is what it is and what it will be and it will never die. It is the reign and realm of God throughout the universe, time and space, throughout the multiverse. Anything that has to do with creation, God, concepts, all that, it's the kingdom of God. And nothing misses his oversight. Have no fear. He's not wringing his hands. Oh no, what are we going to do? Some moron's in charge. No, he is in charge. Before we get into filling in the blanks on the notes that you have in your bulletin, can we just open your Bibles to the book of Daniel? The Daniel is a tremendous revelation of the kingdom of God. Then he gets into prophecies about earthly kingdoms and all that stuff and Bible prophecy experts have been debating for years as to what this means, what that means, and uh, he even named one of the world's leaders that lived centuries ago. But first of all, the foundation is established in the book, the kingdom of God is eternal. It will never end. And it begins by Daniel and three of his buddies getting captured, turned into eunuchs, and made servants for Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the Babylonian empire. Some would say the original greatest empire in the world. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that disturbs him, and he brings in his wise men and makes them tell him his dream. And they couldn't. He said, well, how can I trust your interpretation if you can't tell me what it is? And so he began to have them executed one by one. And sure enough, the executioner showed up at Daniel's house. And Daniel said, can you stop executing these guys and let me get with you later? And he got with his three buddies, who we know by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they prayed. And in his prayer, he made this declaration, chapter 2, Daniel verse 20. 
Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. The wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and stark secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Then he goes into the king, tells him his dream. And then the interpretation blows the king's mind. And in his interpretation, verse 44 of Daniel 2, he said, In the days of these kings, it was prophecy of coming kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar responds positively. Verse 46, he falls on his face, prostrate before Daniel. And then he answers in verse 47. He says, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. Since you could reveal this secret, then he promoted Daniel. More revelation was coming to this king. And he began to honor God, but then pride came to him. He erected a statue of himself and wanted people to bow down to him. I don't know how Daniel escaped this, but his three buddies were going to be thrown in a fiery furnace for it. And that's a whole other story in itself, how they were delivered. And Nebuchadnezzar, through that deliverance, praises God and said that he threw three men in there and the fourth man looks like the son of God. So he had a revelation right there. Then he has another dream and he tells it to his wise men. And they were afraid to make up an interpretation, but God gave Daniel the interpretation. Prior to delivering this dream, he proclaimed this, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, Daniel 4.1, to all peoples and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Daniel listens to the dream, gives him the interpretation, which basically God was going to take Nebuchadnezzar out. And he says, but I hope your enemies would get this, but apparently this is you. If I was you, I would be humble. Of course, he wasn't. And the Lord took him out. For seven years, he was an insane man, living out in a field, eating grass like an ox. His fingernails drew out long. His hair grew out. He was just a crazy, demonized man. And then the Lord set him free. And when he comes back to his mind, the kingdom was there waiting on him. So all of his subjects waited during the seven-year period. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And when his mind returned to him, verse 34 of Daniel 4, he says, At the end of the time I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. 
verse 35, he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then he passes from the scene. His son Belshazzar has his own supernatural experiences with God. And then he gets replaced by being conquered by the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And eventually King Darius becomes king and throws Daniel in the lion's den. He was disturbed by this. He got set up to make this law that no one could pray without, you know, doing what they wanted. Verse 25 of Daniel 6, when it was obvious Daniel was alive, King Darius wrote this, to all peoples and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the powers of the lions. I'll read one more. In Daniel 7, Daniel begins to have visions of the coming days in the earth. And in verse 13 of Daniel 7, he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, you know who that is, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him who was given dominion of glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Welcome to the kingdom of God. kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is increasing. We celebrate Christmas, we honor Jesus as king. Now we're getting into our notes. We honor God's kingdom by honoring the king. We say king. Isaiah 9, 6 is often quoted, but maybe you don't look at it in view of the kingdom. Put the decorations and the gifts to the side. Here's the blessing of Christmas. For unto us, Isaiah 9, 6, a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's a couple more phrases, and it ends with the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord will do this. So Christ came as king, and he came declaring the kingdom of God is among you. He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If you find it hard to pray, that's an assignment to pray for his kingdom to come in your life, in your business, in your country, in your family, in the congregation and community you are part of. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is not just future. Some people put it off in the future and they never touch a subject when it is a major theme in the scriptures. So we honor God's kingdom by honoring the king. We honor God's kingdom by pursuing his will first. Why does he have to be first? Is he an egomaniac? No, if you do not make him first, he won't even be last. Why? Life has all these priorities. Well, I get to it later. And in Matthew 6.33, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you're worried about will be added to you. The Passion Bible says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Put God first. You'll be amazed at how your life will come into order. Just will. He'll inspire you with creative ideas when you pray. He'll inspire you with uh, ways to reconcile. He'll inspire you just to keep your peace when you need to in conflict. Things won't get worse than maybe they are. So we honor the kingdom of God by honoring the king and pursuing his will first. We honor the kingdom by learning about its roots. What are the roots of the kingdom of God? It goes all the way back to creation. Go to Genesis 1. Before the first man was created, here comes this decree. Genesis 1.26 ought to be easy to find. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. That's a kingdom word. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Can we say the creeps? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. End of sentence. Then God, verse 28, blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the earth was man's kingdom in which to have dominion. But God's will was there was a particular tree they were not to eat of. That was a way out of submission to God. You can rebel here. And man was tempted and chose to rebel and lost his authority by handing it over to the father of lies. He had lied to them. And so Christ came to bring the kingdom back to man. The Old Testament prophecies, all of them about the Messiah's coming, were about the kingdom, the authority over the enemy being given back to us. He destroyed the works of the devil so that you and I might walk in freedom from demonic oppression. So we learn about its roots through the creation mandate and through messianic promises that begin in Genesis 3.15 where the Lord tells the serpent, I will put enmity or division between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head 
which is headship, authority, and you shall bruise his heel, which is a wounding, it's discomfort. And so in acquiring that discomfort, hanging on the cross, hurting more than just his heel, but hanging on three nails, one of his heels was severely bruised. That was done to regain authority, fulfilling this promise from the devil. Can we say the kingdom of God? So he came proclaiming the king. He is the king, but he came to restore kingdom authority to his people. So we honor God's kingdom by honoring the king, by pursuing his will first, by learning about its roots, and by knowing what his kingdom is like. His demonstrations. He said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So he demonstrated the kingdom through signs and wonders and miracles. Every act was a blessing to mankind, but a problem to the kingdom of darkness. When the widow's son was raised to life, when the blind man was healed, when the children were blessed, when the hungry were fed, when truth was proclaimed, it was an act of war. We may not see it from that vantage point, but put yourself in the position of the kingdom of darkness, just figuratively. This is a big problem we must deal with. Because we are under attack. Our deaf and dumb spirits have no place to live. Homes are getting healed. Marriages are being made right. Children are being affirmed. Something's going on here. What's going on? Well, it's that guy Jesus down there proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. So when you do kindness... It's a blessing to humanity, but it is an act of war to the dark side. You ever meet resistance sometimes? Yeah. Why? It's an act of war. You're demonstrating the kingdom. By knowing the kingdom, what the kingdom is like, understanding its demonstrations and descriptions. He told them, I am telling you things so you understand the kingdom. But to those that don't want to understand, I'm telling them in parables. You cannot understand some of the parables unless you humble yourself. You can't understand the parable of the sower, the soil, and the seed unless you think of yourself as dirt. Then you understand it. But a prideful person wouldn't do that. That story just doesn't make sense to them. He's describing what the kingdom is like. And many of his parables begin, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. I'll, just, I'll liken the kingdom of God to this, and I'll liken it to that. He's describing what it's like to live in the loving dominion of the kingdom of God. We also know what it's like, but understand what it's not like. It's distinctions. So you got demonstrations, descriptions, and distinctions. Romans 14, 17 talking about, in the context, talking about debate within the church as to whether or not to eat meat offered to idols, whether or not to, you know, offend a vegetarian, basically was what he was saying. He said the kingdom of God is not food and drink. It's not eating. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's important that we distinguish our culture from the kingdom of God of God. Because of the kingdom of God, we send out missionaries. 
to other nations. And those missionaries have to learn how to disciple people within a different culture and not try to make Americans out of them. The early missionaries, bless their hearts, who went to Liberia, who we decades later were there as a young family, had told the people they couldn't use their drums in church because they had worshipped the devil with the drums. Now I can see the advantage of, you know, maybe taking a break from the drums and establish a new lifestyle and go on acapella for a while. But then, you know, the drums are an amazing instrument with which to worship God. And so they taught them American songs. It was weird music, really tough to listen to. I don't think they naturally in that culture had an eight-note scale. You know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. They probably had a five or six. And so to teach them an eight-note song, it just creates havoc for them culturally. And so the songs in their language, with their culture, with their drums, was so much better. I have a friend who uh, is a professor at the junior college, Tarrant County South, and he plays what he calls old school music, and he'll sing some of that song the missionary taught him. And maybe I'll have him come here sometime and give you a demonstration. It's pretty rough. <laughs> we witnessed people singing the Royal Telephone. Who's heard the Royal Telephone? The Southern Gospel hymn? Telephone to glory, oh what joy divine. I can feel the current moving on the line. It's all about prayer and liking it to a telephone. People are singing it who have never seen a telephone. The kingdom of God is not telephones. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So it's important to keep that in mind. Maybe you have a personal conviction against certain things, and you're tempted to judge Christians that don't have those convictions. Meanwhile, you really don't have clear scripture forbidding people doing it. But for you, the Lord led you to do it to help you to walk in freedom. The kingdom of God is not restrictions. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, if we have clear scripture, that relates to the kingdom of God. All right. We honor God's kingdom by embracing our citizenship. We need to fully represent, uh, embrace our citizenship. Some people live like our, our political party is all there is to us. And we fall apart when there's chaos. No, our anchor holds, man. Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Colossians 1.13, Paul said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I'm a citizen eternally of the eternal kingdom of God. His dominion will never cease. In Isaiah 9, 6, the increase of his government will not end. We honor the kingdom of God by proclaiming its gospel today. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now some people have taken the gospel of the kingdom and made it a whole lot more than what God intended it. 
and they've mixed it with some stuff that's made up. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God. So there is salvation in this. The saving of our soul is what the kingdom is about, but it doesn't stop there. We have a citizenship to live out, right? And so the kingdom of God is not to be avoided. It is to be proclaimed. It is good news. Maybe the the kingdom you're a part of is falling apart. Maybe it's got all sorts of chaos in it. But the kingdom of God is increasing. It's a kingdom of peace, of holiness, of righteousness, of joy. The kingdom of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. If this is all new to you, you need to start reading the Gospels. And then read Acts. And stay there for a while to see how God's kingdom functions. Local churches are awesome because they are agencies of the kingdom of God. Local churches can close. We name this church Generations because we don't want it to ever close. But some local churches need to close. But God's kingdom never closes. So we do not equate the local church with the kingdom of God. We're an agency or an expression of the kingdom of God in the earth. That's what we're supposed to be. We come together and go out to live under the dominion of our awesome, ever-loving, ever-increasing King Jesus. And finally, we honor God's kingdom by submitting to our king now. Can we say now? If you put the kingdom way off in the future, then live in life your own way now. No wonder things are the way they are in some places. It's all about us. No, the kingdom of God is not plan B. It is plan A and it is now. Second Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We all follow a king. We all live in a kingdom. And for most of us, it's the kingdom of me. In this kingdom, we rule and reign. Reputation, success, power, comfort, and relationships sit on the throne of our hearts, influencing our actions and ruling our lives. In the kingdom of me, the outcome is always the same. Life is marked by foolishness and frustration. Failure follows failure, and relationships are broken as our selfish aims consume us. Until Jesus. Jesus announced the arrival of a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus marks the reign of a new king. This king does more than ruling from a throne. He rules in your very heart. But this king is different. As you follow this new king, he radically changes your heart, orienting you to life in his kingdom. Under his reign, selfishness gives way to generosity. Cries of self-reliance become cries of dependent prayer. Bitterness is replaced by forgiveness, and anxiety and fear evaporate in the light of the king's love and care. We have a new king. We have a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is replacing the kingdom of me.
Lord, we thank you for your kingdom that never fails, that never ends. We pray, Lord, that every person here who is not a citizen of your kingdom would consider this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We are invited into a kingdom. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. But it's not just a relationship or a friendship. Relationships come and go. It's an eternal entity where the monarch is Jesus. It is not a theocracy. It is a monarchy where Jesus rules and reigns. And its citizens care for one another and give to the poor. The best the world can do is forced government programs. Take your money and give it to somebody else. That is, that is benevolence by force. The kingdom of God is by grace. The church has depended on the government too much to take care of the poor. And that way they do it for us. We don't have to fool with it. And now we have what we have. But if we are trusting God to meet our needs, and He meets our needs, and gives us an abundance... As citizens of the kingdom, we have responsibility to do that. Pray and let the Lord lead and guide you. Let's worship him.
Jesus, how they want him to be. You know, you got your homeboy Jesus, your cowboy Jesus, your trucker Jesus, your Texan Jesus. There's a Russian Jesus and a Ukrainian Jesus, all these different versions of Jesus. But the Bible Jesus is King Jesus. Amen. He was crucified. No longer is he on the cross. So put the crucifix away. The cross is empty, and so is the tomb. Amen. So as his church, agents of his kingdom, we are not called to live in our ghettos or in our closets. We're called to be an influence. He said, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that the world will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we are light and we are salt. So as Americans and citizens of the kingdom, we're to be an influence. If God calls you to run for office, run for office. By all means, vote and let your voice be heard. But don't put all your eggs in that basket because we serve an eternal kingdom, amen? And so we are here to shine the light of truth in this culture. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And so those, those activities are acts of war. Not against flesh and blood, but against the kingdom of darkness. Who knows that's true? And so some of you may need some prayer. Prayer is one of our weapons of war. We pray with one another. We agree together. Jesus said, wherever two or three of you will agree in prayer, it will be done. So if you're here today and you could use someone to pray with you about a challenge you're facing or something that someone else in your family or something you know of that's a concern to you, don't leave here without praying with someone. If that's you, could you just raise your hand and we would send someone to pray with you without embarrassing you. Anybody here need some prayer? All right, citizens of the kingdom, I see two hands here. Keep your hands raised so someone comes by you. Look for hands that are raised, look around. There's three hands in this area. Here's a hand over here. A hand there. Keep your hand raised till some people come by you. Anyone over here? The musicians are just going to play while we pray. 
Anybody else need prayer? Keep your hand raised. Just a few minutes. Lord, I pray that you would hear these prayers. As we agree together, Lord, we push forward in warfare for your glory in Jesus' name. make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. We learn the promise in, I think it's Isaiah 26, 3, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. The word there for peace is repeated twice, translated perfect peace. It's God will keep you in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you. The Lord's peace be upon you. It's not based upon compromise, but upon the conquest of our Lord over death, hell, and the grave. God bless you. Don't rush off, but when you do leave, go get them, tigers. Amen. God bless you.